Good morning, and welcome to Northminster. We used to say, in this place, you are celebrated and loved, just as you are. But the current crisis has exposed now more than ever the truth that the church isn't really a place, so much as it is a people. Gathering over a particular story, united behind a particular hope, not by buildings or proximity. So, then let me say, wherever you're streaming from, wherever you are this week, you are celebrated and loved, just as you are. We are glad that you are part of this cloud of witnesses this morning. We are learning how to be present to one another as the church in ever-changing ways during this season. If you need help getting groceries right now or you've lost your source of income and need help, please give our office a call. Through our care groups, our crisis relief fund and our network of other resources, we will try our best to work alongside you to get your needs met. Now, would you join me in taking a deep breath as we settle our minds and bodies and tune our hearts to the spirit of love together this morning. Welcome to Northminster. For most of us, it has been years since we were afraid of the dark, or at least since we've owned up to it. Now we find ourselves navigating a new world and it feels like all our lanterns have been snuffed out, like we're feeling our way around blindly in the dark. So I want to invite us now to a prayerful exploration of the dark. As so many children have been taught to pray with the psalmist over the years. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. May we trust that in this darkness, God is present. May we trust that in this darkness, there is much still to learn. So let's begin by taking a deep breath. And as you exhale, if you feel comfortable, gently close your eyes. Take one more deep breath. And then you can allow your breathing to return to normal. Take a moment to get a sense of the darkness you find yourself in. Is it a dark room? Is it a cave? Is it the darkness of a forest at night? Wherever you are, you are not alone. Feel the presence of the divine inhabiting the darkness all around you. There is no right or wrong way to experience this darkness but pay attention to what emerges for you. 
O God, who is with us in the midst of our fear, there is a lot to be afraid of right now. We have been thrust into a darkness not of our own choosing. We have arrived here without a lantern or even a match. At first, we were terrified. The children within us jumped and screamed at the sudden darkening of the world around us. Some of us still hold that terror close. Every new shadow that passes causes us to jump. Oh God, be with us in the dark. Others of us seem to have been born with night vision. These have adjusted quickly and begun trying to help the others. And for these, O oh God, we give thanks. We also know that these givers are in need of rest too. And we pray that they would be refreshed. O oh God, be with us in the dark. Still others of us are just now beginning to get our bearings. We've moved through the shock of the lights going out. Finally, it seems our eyes are adjusting to the dark and it's giving us new perspective. It turns out that the darkness is not blinding. It just took us time to learn how to see. Everyone around us looks different in the dark. When we can get close enough to see their faces, we value the sight of them all the more. In their faces, O oh God, we can sense that you are with us. This darkness is causing us to appreciate the sunshine. Even the most difficult moments in the daylight seem desirable when all you know is night. We don't believe that you, O oh God, caused this to happen to teach us a lesson. But that doesn't mean we can't still learn something from it. There is much to learn in the dark. Life in the dark is different than it was before. We're developing new rhythms and at the same time resisting developing new rhythms because we're clinging to the old ones that brought us such comfort. Or because finding a new rhythm here might mean we didn't need the old one quite as desperately as we thought we did. And most mysterious of all, this darkness is somehow shedding light on what our old world was like in the first place, on the parts of it we had managed not to see, and it's causing us to question whether we want to go back at all. 
in this mystery as in all of them, O God. Be with us in the dark. Breathe deeply, thanking God for the gifts of the darkness we find ourselves in. For despite all appearances, its gifts are many. Inhale and exhale. And when you're ready, gently open your eyes. Amen. In the evening of that same day, the first day of the week, the doors were locked in the room where the disciples were for fear of the temple authorities. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Having said this, the Savior showed them the marks of crucifixion. The disciples were filled with joy when they saw Jesus, who said to them again, Peace be with you, as Abba God sent me, so I am sending you. After saying this, Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you retain anyone's sins, they are retained. Jesus performed many other signs as well, signs not recorded here in the presence of the disciples. But these have been recorded to help you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the only begotten, so that by believing you may have life in Jesus' name. This is one of our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. Everyone was thinking it. I was just the first one to say it out loud. And in hindsight, I see the problem. You've got to understand that we were reeling from three days of a kind of despair that I hope you've never experienced. We were all hiding behind locked doors, hungry for any kind of relief when Jesus just appeared. Shalom, he greeted, like it was no big deal, like he didn't just, you know, die and come back from the dead. Needless to say, we lost our minds. Excitement, fear, both. Just, wow. So we had been talking to him for nearly an hour when I said the thing that was on all of our minds. Now things can go back to normal. But then Jesus turned to me. And on his face was this combination of sadness and love. But the message was clear. Things would never go back to normal. I noticed that he was gently shaking his head and he said, that is something we can never let happen. Three years before, my best friends were the dusty coins that I collected on my table in my shady little alcove off the main street. I would organize them into these little towers, my own silver and copper kingdom. You've got to know, I was never great with my hands, but I did have a knack for numbers. I never really had much of a family or friends to speak of, and collecting taxes was something I just kind of fell into. It, it was fine. It, it was my normal. 
I'd sit at my booth counting up sums, and the cold copper faces of the emperor kept me company. With every coin I counted, it was like he was passively assuring me how important my work was, telling me that I had a valuable place in this whole big thing. My supervisors were soldiers who would come at the end of the week to make their pickups. They never learned my name. They didn't care. I mean, I was just a Jew, so... My fellow Jews, on the other hand, now they cared. They hated me. When they'd come in to pay their taxes, some of them would make a game of trying to bump my table like it was an accident, trying to knock down my towers of sorted coins. One time when I was on the floor picking them up, one man spit on the coins like it was no big deal and said, why don't you try to find some pride while you're down there? And then there was Jesus. He'd come in to pay his taxes, and he was so different. He, he didn't ignore me. He didn't hate me. He'd just smile and make small talk. He wasn't judging, but he also wasn't condoning. He was just like he understood. He told me bits and pieces about what he was working on, about the kingdom of God and when the day came that he said, why don't you follow me? I was gone. A few weeks later, we were sitting on a mountainside around a fire, swapping stories, eating fish, listening to the teacher. It was just perfect. And I remember wondering in that moment how I was ever satisfied with normal before. Here there was grace. Here there was new life, a new beginning for me. There was plenty for everyone without, without needing to take it from anyone else. People saw me. They listened. I had a place. It was maybe the best thing that's ever happened to me. It became my new normal. And I never wanted anything to change. But of course, it did. You know, everyone knows the story of Peter pulling out his sword in that garden. But nobody tells you that I was right there behind him, bending down to pick up a rock. I was ready to fight for this, to kill for this. But over the high priest's servant, screaming his head off, Jesus held us back. If you're willing to kill for this, he said, it won't be this anymore. So our weapons hit the ground, and I watched him mend the slave's ear, and I, I just broke I saw in that act of kindness the same spirit that he'd been showing me all those years. And here he was giving it to a man who had come to kill him. And there was something about that I just couldn't handle. I, I didn't know what was going to happen next. I ran. I watched him die from over a mile away. 
too scared to come any closer. How's that for loyalty? So, there we were, three days in hiding. Nicodemus and Joseph had joined us that first day and they stuck around. They, they couldn't exactly hide anymore that they were with us, so we all sheltered together. The very thought of going outside, something we'd always taken for granted, now felt like a threat to our survival. And then, just like that, he was back. So can you blame me for wanting to go back to some semblance of normal after that whole thing? But that, he told me, is something we can never let happen. So I asked him, why not? You're here. We can pick back up where we left off like this never happened. Nothing has to change. And he walked over to me and he put his hand on my shoulder. And that was when I noticed the scars. He must have noticed me looking because he looked too. And he nodded at them and he said, except it did happen. And it changes everything. He turned back around to everyone and he said, what happened shows us things that we should never forget. It exposed things to the light that for too long have thrived in darkness and we can never let them retreat back into the shadows. And I asked, teacher, what are you talking about? The one that answered me though wasn't Jesus. It was Peter and his voice was unsteady. He said, he's talking about me. Jesus turned to look at Peter. His eyes were closed and his chin was trembling. And Peter said, I was supposed to be there for you. I said I'd never leave you. I, I didn't think I could ever, but then I did. He opened his eyes and said, you died alone and I wasn't there. None of us were. There's no going back from that. That's what you're talking about, isn't it? And Jesus moved over to Peter and looked at his face, but Peter couldn't return his gaze. And then Jesus wrapped his arms around Peter and Peter clung to Jesus and just seemed to melt. And after several minutes, Jesus stepped back and said, Peter, neither failure nor shame, nor any height, nor any depth, not even death itself could separate you from my love. Know that first and foremost. And then when you know that, when you can accept that, Never forget or underestimate what you or anyone else is capable of when they are afraid or they're hurting. He said, what happened that night exposed that to the light. And now your work is to embrace it with honesty and grace because that is the only way to grow. The only way that things are going to go differently next time. 
But teacher, I said again, if you can forgive us for leaving you alone like that, then, then I don't see why we can't just go back to normal. And Jesus must have heard the impatience in my voice because he replied with an equal measure of patience. He said, because there's more to it. There are other things that have come out into the light. But I didn't understand, so I asked, what else is there? And this time the answer came from Nicodemus. His voice was flat as he said, the temple. We've seen the true face of the temple. And he let out a deep sigh and said, we, wouldn't, we would have had you believe that we were defenders of the faith, the, the keepers of the sacred mysteries. We would have told you that we knew the mind of God and taught the people what it took to please God, but that's just not true, is it? He looked at Jesus and said, the Spirit of God shines more clearly in you than anyone we've ever seen. And we killed you. We killed you. For the simple crime of making us uncomfortable. Jesus moved over to him and kissed him on the forehead. And Nicodemus went on he said, it is clear now that the temple cares more about protecting dogma than listening to God. We care more about appearance than truth and more about power than justice. That is our true face. And then he remembered, when Caiaphas issued that order, not a single one of us stepped out to speak in your defense, not one. And he slumped back into his chair and said, our whole religious system is a sham. It's bankrupt. There's nothing real about it anymore. Jesus put his hand on his shoulder and then he said to me, there's no going back from not knowing that. There's not any not knowing what they're capable of. He said, they're gonna try their best to convince the people that they didn't actually kill an innocent man. They'll say, the temple could never do that, but they did. You saw it, Jerusalem saw it. They'll want things to go back to normal, but you cannot let them forget what happened until they can own it and until something changes. Otherwise, who else is going to get hurt? And as Jesus spoke, I nodded along. And I realized one other thing that had been uncovered when he was nailed to that cross. One other normal that there was no going back to. Maybe after all that time collecting taxes and counting coins, I'd convinced myself that Rome was a necessary evil. I mean, I knew they were flawed, sure, but they kept the order and they kept the peace and they executed justice. But seeing Jesus there, remembering what Pilate had said, what he had done to him, I saw the truth. 
I remembered the face of the emperor on those coins that had kept me company for so long, and I saw him for the first time for what he was, just a piece of metal somebody had dug out of the ground, stamped a picture on, and convinced everybody to pretend was valuable. We were just pretending. The state, I said, surprising everybody but Jesus. The empire. They sing their songs about bringing peace through their conquest and keeping law and order, but how Pilate treated you? That was just about power and empty bravado. Pilate didn't crucify you because he believed in justice. He did it because he was a thin-skinned child. That is the true face of Rome. And there was silence for a minute, because those are dangerous things to say. And all of the disciples knew it, but then Jesus said, he's right. Everyone looked at him. He said, this has uncovered a piece of Rome's story that they depend on ignoring. Now they'll try to spin this into a story of victory, try to claim, try to calm the people and get them back to normal. But here again, we cannot let that happen. We have to tell the whole story. However we can, however many times it takes, we have to tell the truth. And then he held out his arms. His very presence, an act of defiance to the powers that be. And turned his palms towards us in a blessing. My beloved, he said, as God sent me to disrupt the lies and embody the gracious truth, so I send you. As God sent me to become the true temple, carrying God's own spirit in my body, so I send you. And as God sent me to expose the kingdoms of this world and bring about a new kingdom ordered by true justice and true peace, so I send you. And then just as suddenly as he appeared in the room with us, he was gone, but he wasn't gone. He was right, there would be no going back to normal because a new spirit moved in us, as close to us as our very breath. We unlocked the doors and we went boldly from that room into a world that needed to hear the truth a world that needed to be set free. And nothing has ever been the same. Around this table, we tell the story of the night when Jesus took the bread, gave thanks for it, and broke it, just as he would be broken. Giving it to his friends, he said, Take and eat, all of you. In so doing, we remember that though we share in his suffering, 
we share also in his resurrection life. In so doing, we remember pain and death never have the last word. And when the meal was over, he took a cup filled with wine and gave thanks for it. Giving it to his friends, he said, take and drink, all of you. In so doing, we remember the new covenant sealed in his poured out life. In so doing, we remember the spirit of God. The spirit of love is always with us, no matter what. So may simple acts, things like breaking bread and pouring wine, be for us windows into that great divine story of death and new life. Our Lord who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Forever and ever. Amen. Friends, as God sent Christ to disrupt lies and embody the gracious truth, so we are now sent. As God sent Christ to become the true temple, carrying God's own spirit in his body, so we are now sent. As God sent Christ to expose the kingdoms of this world, and manifest a new kingdom ordered by true justice and true peace. So we are now sent. You are seen, you are loved. Go in peace. <laughs>